certainly did enjoy the good songs that were chosen and they always reflect so much of what's on our hearts and minds and it's amazing how the spirit directs in that way we want to continue our study of that wonderful epistle of first thessalonians written by the apostle paul early in his ministry and early in the history of the church in that region remembering that the apostle paul was led by the spirit to thessalonica he gathered as he always does uh, those whose hearts the lord opens to receive the gospel acting in obedience to the gospel these individuals were baptized and and became true followers of the lord jesus christ even in the midst of a lot of persecution and opposition and it's interesting to see the pastoral character of this epistle isn't it you you just you see the love that the apostle paul has for this particular church we want to title uh, our study tonight living the life of the christian in the light of christ's return you know it's one thing to know that christ is coming it's one thing to rejoice in it and and to remember it but there's something about the life of an individual that is anticipating the second coming of christ that's unique in a lot of ways and the apostle paul captures that in this wonderful chapter now we we won't have the opportunity to go through the whole chapter tonight but i want to read the first 11 verses and then we'll come back and and comment on it paul writes but of the times and the seasons brethren ye have no need that i write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. That's a key word in this chapter. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, in that, in that paragraph of the letter that Paul has written, he is capturing for us the heart of an individual 
who is marching to the beat of a different drum. He's hearing the sound of heaven, even though his feet are on the planet earth. His heart is in tune with the heavenly chorus. The Apostle Paul is rejoicing in that fact. But I, w- I want to notice especially this expression uh, uh, in verse 2 when he's talking about the times and the seasons in verse 1. Uh, this is the measurement and the character of time itself. Um uh, you know, there's a there's a, a theological um, group, I should say, uh, of people that believe in deism. Um, a deist is someone that uh, believes that God did create everything, and He did it for His own glory, and He kind of wound it up like a, a a clock, and set it out in front of Him, and never intervenes in anything going on in the clock that time is just kind of spinning as it will without any perimeter without any restraint without any uh, permission without any governance it's just kind of we're here by accident and we're just kind of living out our days till we run out and then you're dead all over like the old dog rover that kind of teaching I'm glad the Bible teaches us out of that. Yes. You know, that, that, that's so empty, isn't it? Uh, to think that there's no real purpose for any of us being here and, and that there's no real design for the times and the seasons, the epics, the ages in God's providence. Let me show you something. Go with me to the book of Daniel very quickly in Daniel chapter 2. Remember, Daniel is interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and and that dream encapsulated the Gentile kingdoms, you know, beginning with Babylon, then going to the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. He saw all of this in this Colossus uh, that he dreamed about, and Daniel is praying to God that he would show him what that dream actually meant and this is something i want you to underline in your bible this is going to help you understand what paul means in first thessalonians 5 1 when he says times and seasons Uh, daniel was given the information by god in verse 20 of daniel chapter 2 daniel answered and said blessed be the name of god forever and ever for wisdom and might are his now watch verse 21 and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Brothers and sisters, this is a a powerful verse that shows us the great sovereignty of God. His sovereign rule over all time. His sovereign rule over all seasons. All nations. All kings and kingdoms. That's an amazing verse in my mind uh, to share with you tonight. I believe the Apostle Paul is, is capturing that spirit that was in the heart of Daniel when he writes these words to the Thessalonians. Of the times and the seasons, brethren, 
ye have no need that I write unto you. What he's saying, he's acknowledging that they have been taught the truth concerning the sovereignty of God over all time and over all seasons. Then he says, for yourselves know perfectly. Now that, that doesn't mean to have perfect knowledge or complete knowledge, but what he's talking about is uh, you have uh, uh, been a student in the house of God long enough to know uh, in a mature way, to approach the coming of Christ in a very mature way and attitude. You know this, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief of the night. Now think about this day of the Lord. Remember, the times and seasons are all in His hand. And at the end of that time, and at the end of that season... There is a day. There's a day for which all days were made. And that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing us to in our study tonight. That expression, day of the Lord, it's interesting to note that it's found 19 times in the Old Testament Scripture. Every time it's dealing with judgment. It's dealing with the judgment of the wicked. We could uh, encapsulate the Old Testament study of the day of the Lord by saying there's a payday someday. The wicked, even in our generation, think they're getting away with a lot of things. Covered up by the media. Covered up by the FBI. Covered up by the judicial system. And they think they're getting away with it all. But there's a payday someday. There's a day of the Lord. And that expression is found four times in the New Testament, and we're going to look at it very quickly uh, tonight, because this is what really builds the foundation for the ethical, for the um, uh, uh, active obedience of God's people to the commands that follow, because we are living in the light of the second coming. We have that understanding based upon the gospel and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn your Bible with me first to the words of Christ in Luke chapter 17. We're going to have to hit these real quick <laughs> to just get through this. But in Luke chapter 17, Jesus, of course, is, is, is preaching here. And it's, it's powerful to my mind, uh, referring to his second coming. And he says this in verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. See, that's what they were interested in even then. 2,000 years ago, they were asking, when is the kingdom of God going to be in the earth? Now, from a Jewish standpoint, that has a special significance. Because they were looking at Christ. If you're the Messiah, then you've come to bring the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom of God is going to be with us, that means we're going to be liberated from Rome. We're going to be liberated from the oppressor, uh, from the tyrant of Rome. We're, we're, we're going to be um, uh, miraculously saved from what we're going through right now. That's what they were thinking about Christ. If you really are the Messiah, then, then bring your army on and free us from Roman, cap, uh, Roman uh, tyranny. But listen, listen to what he says. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Um, 
that means, uh, that expression observation means with outward show. In other words, the kingdom of God is not going, the kingdom of God is going to be distinguished from other kingdoms. The, the kingdom of God is, is a, a kingdom that is likened unto laven, uh, laven or yeast in, 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 in dough that is made to be bread. You can't see it. You, you can't see the yeast uh, multiplying. You can't observe that as it were. And yet it's happening. And so it is. You, you study the history of the church. The church has this very small and meager beginning in Jerusalem. And, uh, ju- you know, here you've got 120 members. That, and through those members, thousands and millions of lives are being impacted by the testimony of those people. It's like that leaven. It's, it's like the grain of a mustard seed. It's something that is not necessarily outward. But what Jesus is describing is a kingdom that is within the people of God. In fact, he says that here. He doesn't say that in Matthew, but he does in Luke. Um, he says that here, Neither say I, lo here, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within or among you that are the people of God. And you might think yourselves to be insignificant in God's times and seasons, but oh no, you're here on purpose. You're here with a purpose. Listen to him. He says, uh, and he said unto the disciples, the days, plural, will come when ye shall desire or long to see one of the days, plural, of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. In other words, there's going to be a holy longing for the presence of the Lord. Remember, the Lord was, uh, Jesus was preparing the disciples for the time when he would be physically removed from them. He said, you, you, you know, the poor you have with you always, but me you have not with you always. And he's talking about physically. So he's preparing uh, the disciples for his absence among them. He says, you're going to long for that day uh, to come. And they shall say unto you, see here or see there. Go not after, verse 23, go not after them nor follow them. For Listen here, watch this. For as the lightning that light, lighteneth out of one part of the heaven and shineth unto the other part of the heaven, so also the Son of Man be in His day. Singular. You notice this? There is a day coming, which is called the day of the Lord. But first, must He suffer many things and be rejected of this generation? And as it was, watch this, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days, plural, of the Son of Man. Why? Because they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What he's describing here is indifference. What he's describing here is really an ignorance. An ignorance of the promise of God, an ignorance of the word of God, an ignorance of truth, the truth of God, that Jesus is actually coming again. 
brothers and sisters, he's coming. This fits so well in our study here tonight. Go with me to Acts chapter 2, the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter's got something to say about these times and seasons, doesn't he? Remember in Acts chapter 1, they asked Jesus before his uh, uh, public uh, uh, exaltation, when he ascended up into glory, they asked him the question in verse 6, Lord, wilt thou at this time, time, restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said, verse 7 uh, of chapter 1, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, he didn't say, why, you dummies? Why would you ask uh, such a silly question concerning the coming of the kingdom of God? Why, why would you do that? That, that? That's so foolish of you to even ask. No, he didn't say that at all. He just said, it's not for you to know. It's not for me to know. It's not for any of us to know. Even Jesus said, even he didn't know when the Father would send him a second time. He said, only, not even the angels know. So why do you think, and why would you spend $13.95 on a book that tells you when Jesus is coming again? Why would you do that? Why would you spend $18 to go to a movie that is describing the coming of Jesus Christ and giving you the dates when he's expected to come? And by the way, circle those dates on your calendar because that's the very time he's not coming. I could talk all night on that. But, but go with me. And, and notice how Peter emphasizes this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You know, Peter now stands up and he's proclaiming the message of Christ. And, and then in the very foundation of this great, great sermon, you talk about a great sermon. This is the sermon of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. You talk about a great pattern for preaching. Here's his foundation. What, what foundation is he going to use? Watch this. He's going to start out. He says uh, in verse 16, For this is that which was spoken of by uh, the prophet Joel. <laughs> and it shall come to pass in the last days. The last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Last days. What is that expression? It is the present age of redemptive history extending from the first coming of Christ to his second return last days he's going he's going to build his sermon on the fact that Christ is fulfilling redemptive history all along the way for time's sake go down to verse 20 he says uh, speaking of the prophecy of Joel he says, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable, here it is, day of the Lord come. And then verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever, not just the Jews, not just the religious, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
brothers and sisters, the whole foundation of Peter's sermon is based upon the reality that we are living in the light of the second coming of Christ. That's why it's sad. You know, it's really sad when people come to church looking like they're practicing for their next funeral or sucking on a lemon or something like that. You know, it just doesn't fit. Because God's people living in the hope of His second coming, that should be the greatest joy that we could ever experience in this world. The knowledge of that is so rich, isn't it? But, but isn't it interesting? The very first sermon that is recorded by Peter, he builds it on the fact of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, go with me to 2 Thessalonians. I've got to get to this. And you'll see why in just a minute. I'll tie this together in just a minute. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, listen to what he says. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him. See the reality of that resurrected experience. That ye be not soon shaken in mind. Now is this a good word for you? You know, there's a lot of things that can shake us up. Whether it's a doctor's report, whether it's a phone call, uh, whether it's uh, uh, something happening in the life of someone we care about. There's a lot of things that the devil can use to shake our minds. But he says, I don't want you soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or by word or by letter as from us, as the day of Christ. Here it is again. The day of Christ is at hand. Now that means hand. That, 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 that's an expression that means to reach out with the hand. It's at hand. It's near. Did you know today, uh, May the 17th, in the year of our Lord, 2023, is one day closer to the coming of Jesus Christ than yesterday? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it, isn't it wonderful to think about the God that we serve is sovereign over the times and the seasons and one day there's a day coming for which all days were made and in that day he's going to put down all unrighteousness. He, he, he's going to take his people home. And I want one last reference to this and, you'll, and, and I'll tell you why in just a sec. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, most of you are very familiar with this. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord, there's that expression, the day of the Lord, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Some people actually think that this, this is referring to an atomic uh, bomb. Uh, but let me hasten to say tonight that God doesn't need an atomic bomb to dissolve this earth. He doesn't need it. All he needs is his word. His word created it, and his word can dismantle it. But be that as it may, Peter's writing in this prophetic tone, and he says there's a day coming, the day of the Lord, when the heavens shall pass away that we have uh, over us uh, with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. You talk about global warming, brother. There it is. 
The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Wow. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You you see, our view of the second coming is going to affect our view of the world. It's going to affect our view of ourselves. It's going to affect what we consider the most important to us. And that's what Paul and Peter are actually driving home to us tonight. We're to live in the light of the knowledge of the second coming. Now, let's tie it together. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. To me, this is a beautiful expression. He says, um, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, The day of the Lord that we've been referring to in these passages that we read is going to come as a thief. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse uh, uh, 43, he said the same thing, that there's there's going to be um, there, there, there's going to be a lack of attention. Um, there's going to be an indifference to. There's going to be an ignorance of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, now this is the wicked, this is the world, this is This is uh, a description of those that know not Jesus Christ, that know not the Lord. When they say peace and safety. See, we've got, we finally achieved man's noble end of peace and safety. They claim. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Oh, my goodness, brothers and sisters, this is uh, the, the verse that comes to my mind is Psalm chapter 35, verse 8. He says, let destruction come upon the wicked at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. Boy, that ought to shake you up. The travail of a woman giving birth is a description of in. Inevitability, um, something that uh, is inescapable. Um, You know, when a woman is pregnant with a child, the doctor doesn't look at her and say, "You know it, it. You know the baby might come in nine months or ten, or maybe thirteen or fourteen, or maybe not at all." Because I'm going to tell you. When that time is known, you can gauge uh, pretty well uh, when that birth is going to take place. In other words, it's something that's expected. In fact, we used to say in the South, it was considered polite to say a woman is expecting. I don't know if you grew up that way or not. I did. That's, that's the way we always talked about it. Uh, she's expecting. Well, the reason we use that word is because uh, the gestation period of a, a, a child is nine months. 
And brother, at the end of that nine months, there's an expectation. Well, in the providence of God, that's exactly way, the way God views the second coming of Christ. There's a set time. There's a specific day. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we found out that there's a specific hour in which the Lord Jesus is going to come again. Hallelujah. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Quickly come. <laughs> now, how is that going to affect us? But ye, brethren... I want you to see the contrasting values, the difference that it makes in the believer's life that an unbeliever can't even begin to enjoy, can't even begin to understand or comprehend, can't even begin to embrace. But God's born-again children are able to. But ye brethren, born-again brethren, are not in darkness. You're not in darkness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. You know, there were only two days on Paul's calendar, huh? There was two day and that day. How many are on yours? There's two day and that day. You, Brethren, you are not in darkness. You are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Why? Because you are the children of light and the children of the day, the day of the Lord. We are not of the night nor of darkness. He's describing the attitude of uh, uh, an individual in a state of nature is, is mentally dark. They're morally dark. They're spiritually dark. The Apostle Paul described that vividly in uh, 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 the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verses 8 through 14. He, he describes us uh, as darkness itself in Ephesians 4.11. Um, I think about that in the terms of Christ's conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, verses 19 through 21. He, he's describing a man by nature as in love with darkness. Why? Because his deeds are evil. <laughs> His deeds are evil. He doesn't want to come to the light because his deeds are evil. The light reproves darkness. So a man by nature loves darkness because he's a child of darkness. Morally, uh, uh, mentally, and spiritually. And brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear on this. Uh, except a man is born again, he will be eternally in the dark. Just think about that. that. Now that's kind of a scary thing. Eternally in the dark. Jesus used that very terminology. He, he, he said there in, in, in the day of God's judgment upon the wicked, uh, there will be uh, gnashing of teeth and they will be cast into outer darkness. Hmm. But he says, Paul says, but you're not among them. You're children of light. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. You know, he says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A city on a hill cannot be hid. See, there's a light. And I'm going to tell you what I believe that light is. That light is truth. 
You know what we need to do as Christians in our culture war? You know the only way we're going to win it? The only way we're going to overcome this present evil world is by bringing the light of truth to interface with our culture. I don't care what job you have. I don't care where you go. I believe we all need to be looking for opportunities to share the light of truth with those in our culture. And I, I believe we need to speak the truth in love. I'm not, I'm not talking about browbeating anybody or, or making somebody you know, feel bad every time we talk to them. But what I'm talking about is finding those opportunities where you can bring a nugget of truth, just a nugget, a nugget of truth to the situation or the circumstance. I think that's what God called us to do. We're children of light. But notice the contrast. You are children of light. The world is children of darkness. Now that's contrast number one. Uh, contrast number two deals with knowledge and ignorance. He says, therefore, um, verse six, he says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others. That means don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. I don't want to be like that hillbilly that went to the doctor one time and he says, Doc, I've got a problem. He says, well, what is it, son? He says, well, he says, I'm having trouble sleeping. He says, well, tell me about it. He says, well, Doc, it's just like this. At night I do all right, and in the mornings I do pretty good, but those afternoons I just toss and turn. Well, <laughs> there's a time to sleep. But there's a need for us to awake. Let us watch and be sober. The word watch there is gregoreo, which means literally to be vigilant, to be alert. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, this world and the affairs of this world and the, the sad tidings of this world get us down and we get pretty depressed and discouraged because of what's going on around us. And uh, instead of looking around, we need to be looking up. That's all he means by that. Don't, don't, don't fall asleep with the world. Don't be in a stupor with the world. Let us watch and, and be sober. He, he's going to contrast sobriety with drunkenness. That word sober there means to be wise. It, it means to be uh, discreet. It means to be discerning. If, if there ever was a time for Christians to be discerning, it's in our day. We need to be discerning as to what is true and what is not, and what is real and what is not. Paul says, I want you to be on top of this. I, I want you to build your life with the expectancy of the second coming at any moment. At any moment. And I want you to live your life in a way that if Jesus comes at this moment... He'll be pleased with what I'm doing. He'll be pleased with how I'm acting and how I'm living my life. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunk in the night. He's, uh, and, and brothers and sisters, we're living in a culture tonight where people are just 
every form of immorality and every form of evil is being applauded in our culture. But Christians, you can't be a part of that. We can't be a part of that. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate. Have you done this, friends? Have you done this tonight? Have you, have you put on the breastplate of faith and love? Faith in Jesus Christ and love for Him. Have you put on the helmet, which is what? The hope of salvation. Why did He say the helmet is the hope of salvation? You know, the helmet is to protect the mind or the brain, right? Well, here He's talking about what you think about. What you uh, focus your attention upon. That's that's. That's where Paul is cutting, uh, cutting a fine edge in the Christian life. He's saying we need to be thinking about the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoicing in the reality that God has not appointed us to wrath. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I want to rejoice tonight that the wrath that my sins deserved and the wrath that my soul deserved was poured out upon the Savior upon the tree of the cross 2,000 years ago. I can rejoice in that. And I can rest in the promise that He's coming again to get the people that He paid for. God has not appointed us to wrath like He has the world and like He has the devil, but to obtain salvation through, through Christ who died for us. Listen to this, Christian, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Can you imagine this? Now, now, now certainly, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, there, there's a lot of folks already in heaven that I'm looking forward to seeing one of these days. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, that doesn't compare the desire I have to see the one that died for my sins and rose for my justification and suffered because I'm a sinner not because he is I'm looking forward to seeing him and embracing him and living in his countenance forever and lastly comfort comfort there's that important word exhort or encourage isn't it wonderful tonight? I hope you feel encouraged. I do. Uh, I hope you feel encouraged tonight by the Word of God to you. He says, I want you to walk in this. I want you to live your life in this. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, build up one another, even as also ye do. I, I, I believe that living the life of a Christian in the light of the return of Christ is coinciding with us being children of light. It's coinciding with a call to sobriety or discernment. It's coinciding with growing in the knowledge of what Christ has done for me and what Christ has promised he shall do for me in the future. And, and walking in the expectancy of Jesus Christ coming. And when he comes, oh, might he find us doing his will. Oh, may he find us walking in obedience. Oh, may he find us serving him in whatever capacity we can. Thank you for your good attention tonight. God bless you. I appreciate your consideration here.